I won't lie, this, this passage of scripture that we're looking at this morning is, is a challenge. And yet it is so, so good to soak in the wonderful grace that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and the strength that is found only in him. That's what we get to do this morning. But before we turn to 2 Timothy, I want to I start our time off in the Old Testament. So turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 7. And as we think about this idea of strength and suffering, my question for us all, it's kind of a launch pad, is this. Where do you find your strength? I believe that's a good question, and it's a question that deserves our attention and our reflection, as well as an honest assessment. Where do you find your strength? When you are pushed against the wall, where do you turn? Where do you run to? Perhaps as we look at the life of Gideon, you can relate. I know I can. We don't have enough time to dig into the entire life of Gideon, but if we did, we would find that when Gideon was alive, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people themselves had turned their back on God again and again and again. And so what does the Lord do? He allows the Midianites to come and to basically terrorize his people. And they're held as if in bondage to them. And so where you would find Gideon at the time when the Lord comes to him is hiding out somewhere. Trying to get food for his family, but he's trying to do it in a way that the Midianites wouldn't see. They wouldn't notice. You know why? Because whenever the Israelites were just about ready to harvest their crop and get all of their food, the Midianites would come with their great big army and take everything and trash everything. And so they were living in this kind of fear time. In this time where everybody was like hiding out in caves and, and trying to hide the good food that they did get from the Midianites so they wouldn't see it. And it's at this time where the Lord appears to Gideon and he calls him a valiant warrior. And I could just picture Gideon looking around going, who are you talking to? Don't you know who I am? I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. That, that's a no-name tribe. And on top of all of that in my family, I'm, I'm the littlest, I'm the youngest one. What do you mean? And it's as if God is letting us know right from the beginning with Gideon that that's what I mean. That I like to use the nobodies. I like to use the no ones. I like to use those that, that are weak to show my strength. And Gideon, I'm going to do that through you. And then what does Gideon say? He says, well, it sounds pretty good, but hey, how about you do this? You take, see that fleece? I, I want to I, I see something more to know that you're going to be with me. So that, that fleece there, I, I want to see water in the fleece, but no water outside of it. No do anywhere else. And God in his grace says, okay. That's exactly what happens. And yet that isn't enough for Gideon. Gideon wants more. Hey, how about one more time? And this time, may, maybe that's just the way that this, this fleece is. It's like a water collector. Now prove to me that that just didn't happen. This time I want the fleece to be dry and everything outside to be wet. And what happens? That's exactly what happens. And then God raises the ante. 
The Lord tells him, okay, my people, your people, the people of, of Israel, they've turned their back on me. They're, they're worshiping Baal, Baal. What I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to destroy the, the temple, his, his image. I want you to take it down. And you know, Gideon goes in, in obedience to, before the Lord. But in probably a style that would be more like me, he goes at night. Why? Because he doesn't want everybody to see him during the day. And he rips it down. And then everybody gets mad at him. The nation of Israel gets mad at him. He says, what have you done? And they ask his dad, hey, give us your son so that we can kill him. And his dad says, no go. If this truly is a god, then let Baal handle it. But none of you is going to kill my son. What happens from there? The Midianites step in and they decide, okay, we're going to wipe him out. And they amass this huge army. And they're coming after the nation of Israel. And the Lord comes upon Gideon and gives him the power and the strength. And what does Gideon do? He goes around amassing this huge army. And that's where we are in Judges chapter 7. This huge army that has been amassed by Gideon. Why? Because for whatever reason, people are like, man, this guy, he's the kind of leader that God has brought to us. Let's trust Gideon. And so what we see are 32,000 men show up. Battle-ready soldiers, well, sort of. And look at what the Lord says in verse 2, Judges chapter 7. The Lord said to Gideon, the, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel, your people will become boastful. Just like you, just like me. Saying, my own power has delivered me. Now therefore come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. 22,000 people were like, okay, I'm out. Are you kidding me? Do you know how big that army is? It's a lot bigger than our little 32,000. I'm out of here. Of course I'm scared. Of course I'm shaking. Leaving 10,000. But then what do we find? We find that 10,000 is still too many. And so then what does the Lord do? The Lord says, hey, I'm going to weed it down even more. And, if, and as we read on, we see that he brings them to a river. And he says, okay, everybody drink. And those that use their hand and lap up the water, they are the ones that stay. And the ones that just lean down and drink, they are the ones that are said to go home. Leaving only 300 men to go up against this huge monster army of the Midianites along with the Amalekites. This is a no-win situation. Nobody signs up for this. Nobody wants to be placed in this kind of setting. And yet that's what these 300 men do. And you would think at this point that Gideon would just say, okay, Lord, I got you. This is great. But no, that's not what Gideon does. Look at verse 9. So right after that, now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. Hey, go do this thing, Gideon. But look at verse 10. You see, the Lord knows Gideon's heart as the Lord knows your heart and he knows my heart. And if this morning, if you feel like you just can't keep going on, then hold on because this morning's message is for you. This morning, we're going to find that you're right, that there, there isn't enough strength in ourselves 
just as there wasn't enough strength in 300 men to take down the Midianites and the Amalekites, but in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His grace, there is an abundance of strength to allow any one of us this morning to keep on keeping on in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our hardships. But if you are afraid, look at God's grace, verse 10, to go down, go with Purah, your servant, down to the camp, and, and you'll hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Purah, who is his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. And now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. This was not a small army. This was huge, and their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend, and he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. His friend replied, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. Oh, that's just how I would have responded. No, I would have been like, are you kidding? That big load of barley? That's what we're going to eat tomorrow after we take these guys out. And we're going to do it in like five hours. But the Lord obviously had other plans and it actually told this friend of his exactly what the dream meant. This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon. Remember, he's a no-name the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. And then look at Gideon's response. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. And just as the Lord said, that's exactly what happens. 300 men. 300 Israelites take down an army. Really, it's two armies, the Amalekites and the Midianites. Why? Because they turn on each other. And then the Israelites finish the job. Why is that? It's because of the strength of the Lord. That is what the Lord wants to remind us all this morning. That is what the Apostle Paul wanted to remind Timothy as he's giving him his, his final letter to his son in the faith. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 now. And this morning, the verses that we are going to be looking at are verses 1 to 7. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Where we see this, we see strength in suffering. You, therefore... My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let me pray for the preaching of the word. 
Heavenly Father, we, we desire what Paul says in verse 7 here, that we would gain a true understanding of what your word is teaching us this morning. So set me aside. Allow your spirit to be our teacher, that we might be able to understand better how we are to live this life for you, how we are to suffer the way that you want us to suffer in your strength and your strength alone. Teach us from the, the way of the soldier, the way of the athlete, the way of the farmer. This morning is the examples that Paul gave to Timothy. For we want to be faithful before you, and we want your strength, your grace to be evident in our lives, Lord. And we know that that's going to take your empowerment. That's going to take you teaching us how to do that. So teach us now through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as Paul goes into chapter 2, we have to recognize where he's been in chapter 1. Going back to chapter 1, verse 8, where does... Paul go, he goes to do not be ashamed. I want you to stand up for the gospel and for me, Timothy. Verse 7, how do you do that? For God has given us a spirit, not a spirit of timidity, but a power and love and discipline. Where does this power of God come from? It comes from the spirit. That's where he is pointing Timothy in chapter 1 again and again and again. The Holy Spirit, he will do this. He has been given to us as this resource of power. Verse 12, for this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. And how do you guard it? You guard it, verse 14, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And then from there he goes into some examples. Hey, don't follow these guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes. They were ashamed. No, follow Onesiphorus. I want you to follow his example. And this morning, he's going to launch off into some more examples of this is the way, Timothy, that I want you to live like this. I want you to understand, Timothy, what is needed. And in that, he wants us all to know what is needed for us in order to live the Christian life. That we must, as he says here in verse 1, be strong. But not be strong in your own strength. No, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus Christ and the grace that is found in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ as the resource for him. This is the source. This is the pool of grace that never ends, that is available to all of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And Paul starts off his time in, in verse 1, reminding Timothy again that you must be strong in the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus is central. Jesus is all in all. Don't forget about him. And it's as if he's putting exclamation marks, exclamation marks, exclamation marks behind all of this by using a, a verb and be strong that's in the passive sense. 
It's the strength is working on Timothy. It's not the other way around. This isn't like when you go to the gym and you take the dumbbells off of the little rack and you start working out your arms or you want to do your back or you want to do this or that. No, it's nothing like that. It's more like all of a sudden it for, you're forced to go and, and, and those bars just come right into your hands and you have to start working out. That it's not you doing it. It's actually the weights doing it. But in this case, and I know this is really kind of a weak example, that's what Christ does for us. It's his grace. It's his strength. It's not your strength. It's not my strength. So stop trying to be the one that has all the power and the strength. How quickly do you go to the Lord when you're faced with some sort of struggle? Something that you did not know was going to happen. Hey, I've had a lot of those over the last 10 days. How about you? Opportunities where you can just stop and say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to respond? Help me to respond. This is beyond me. Right now, I cannot do this in my own strength. If I am going to respond, I'm going to respond in the flesh. I don't want to respond in the flesh. I want to respond being led by your grace and the strength that is in your grace. Help me. Not only is this something that, that is done to us and that we are passive in the process, but this is something that is also in the, in the present. It has this idea that this is continuous. It isn't that you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ way back when, and then that grace, that reservoir, that flood of grace, that river that just keeps coming and coming, enabling you to live a godly life, then just gets cut off like there's a dam. No, that grace is still available. It's available this day. No, it's available this hour. No, it's available this minute. No, it's available every second of the day. Through and only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is Paul really doing? He's reminding Timothy that endurance will be needed. Strength will be needed for the journey ahead. And the Lord is reminding every one of us this morning the same thing. That strength will be needed. And that you gain this endurance for suffering by the strength given through grace found in Jesus Christ. And so what do we see? We see four ways to find strength in the grace found in Jesus. And the first one is this. Found in verse 2. Get and give. Get and give what, you ask? Get and give the word of God. You cannot live the Christian life without being plugged into the Word of God, without allowing the Word of God saturate you. This should be your meat and potatoes every day. This is what you should be eating and drinking deeply in every day. It's understood in the way that, that Paul speaks to Timothy in verse 2. Look at the things which you have heard from me. Hearing, are you hearing the word of God each week? Not just on Sundays. And I would include this, your own personal time in the word each day. Are you hearing? And then are you stopping and then listening to what the Lord is trying to impress upon you about that verse that you just read or, or those set of verses you just read? Are you spending time listening to, to good Bible expositors? Pastors, preachers, as you're driving from point A to point B and you have an opportunity, are you 
getting a good, healthy dose of the Word of God each and every week. That's, that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Hey, you heard this. You heard what? You heard the Word of God. That is what Paul was giving Timothy all the time. How about you? Are, are you hearing the Word over and over and over again? Notice how good our God is that he has given us his word that we might grow in grace, that we might be able to find our strength, that we would understand that, that we do not have any strength in ourselves. How often do you stop and do you consider the omnipotence of God? Not just to create everything and not just to save you, which is an amazing, amazing feat. The salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is, is like nothing else. But his power to save goes further than just to save us from our sins. It comes to our daily living to sanctify us, to make us more and more holy like him. Just think of how many ways his, his power is unleashed each day, and yet we don't take notice of it, that we miss it. Again, Jesus is the source of an ever-flowing river of God's grace for every believer in Christ Jesus. And that is why Paul is commanding Timothy, you must be strong in this grace. And how does this grace come? It comes from hearing the word of God, saturating yourself with the word of God. And yet there's more that's involved in us growing in grace and allowing God's grace to be active and alive and living in our lives than just hearing the word of God. Notice what else he says. Not just that you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, but that he is in, supposed to entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What is the these? He's, he's talking about the teaching He's talking about doctrine. He's talking about the theology that, Tim, that Timothy has been given by the Apostle Paul. That that is what he's supposed to not only get and that he's received from Paul, but that now he is supposed to give it to faithful men that he has found in the Ephesian church. And I recognize that the context here is clear. It's evident. This is talking about the local church, leadership in the local church in Ephesus that is in desperate need of godly men that are faithful, faithful to the word of God, faithful in their lives. Those are the kind of men that Timothy is to appoint to be the next elders in the church. Why? So that Timothy can leave Ephesus, go to Rome, see Paul, and then continue on in the ministry that the apostle Paul started ministering to all these churches. So I, so I get you. It'd be really easy for, for any of you that, that are not a pastor or an elder in a church to look at us and go, oh, I'm going to, man, I'm tuning out. This isn't for me. But the principle here is the same. The Lord never desires for us to just hear, hear, hear and fill up with the word of God and then not give it to someone. You should be involved in some way in sharing what the Lord is teaching you with others. 
If you have children, then you need to be giving this word to your kids. If the Lord has blessed you with a spouse, the same thing. As you spend time in the word, well, then you share that with your spouse and you encourage each other like that. Why? Because we are terrible at just getting, getting, getting and not actually making it our own unless we teach it to someone else. And that is what Paul is getting at towards Timothy. And I I think it's even clearer, not so much in, in, in this translation, where, where Paul says that you should give this, that you have heard from me in the, in the presence of many witnesses. That preposition in could have been translated from the presence of many witnesses. So perhaps what Paul is really saying is, hey, you didn't learn this all just from me. You learned this from many men. You learned this from Luke. You learned this from Titus. You, you learned this from your mom, from your grandma. And so we should have an input into one another's lives with the things that the Lord is teaching us. Why? Because hearing is not enough by itself. And notice what he is supposed to be teaching, that which the Apostle Paul and these others had taught him. This speaks of what what we would consider an orthodox, (coughs) excuse me, an orthodox of theology. This is the apostolic teaching This is what the apostles taught. Paul was not expecting Timothy to teach something different than what he'd received from Paul. Neither was Titus. Neither was Luke. And remember, they had like the Jerusalem council. Why? To make sure they're all on the same page. This is why churches have doctrine statements. This is why we have a doctrine statement. And do you recognize that our doctrine statement is not the same as every other church in this valley? And we hold to the doctrine statement. It's, it's, it's our distinct, one of our evident distinctives for who we are as a church. And that is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Man, stay in the Word. Keep hearing the Word. Keep letting that Word saturate you, soak, wash you, and then give it to others. So get and give the Word. Second. What must we also have in order to know God's grace in our suffering? It is this. Have a fixed focus. Not a fixed focused. So in your notes, wipe out that last ED. It's just fixed focus. That is what we see in the, in the life of the first example that he gives us, the soldier. And notice it is a good soldier. It's not just any soldier. He qualifies, clarifies, Exactly what kind of soldier he's talking about. Why? Because not all soldiers are the same. Verses 3 to 4. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. What do we know first and foremost about soldiers? Where do they go? They go to war. What is understood in this, what is implied, it's, imp- it's implicit actually in the beginning as he says, what are you supposed to do? Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. Suffer with me, Timothy. 
and recognize this is different than what he's called Timothy to in suffering in chapter 1. In chapter 1, it was, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, in verse 8, as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. According to the power of God, Timothy, at one time or another, right now, you have the opportunity to suffer for the sake of the gospel. But now what he's bringing into light is a different kind of suffering. This is a suffering for faithful service rather than solely for the sake of the gospel. That's why he goes to these three examples that we could all relate with and we could say, hey, they represent us in some way. Each one of us. And he's, and he's saying to Timothy, listen, you are going to suffer in this life because it is what believers do. And his first example is a soldier. Soldiers go to war. Those 300 men that were with Gideon, do you think that they went into that thinking that, oh, I'm for sure not going to lose my life? No, they went in committed, recognizing, hey, I might lose my life. I might get one of my, my legs shot. All sorts of things. And is that not what soldiers do? That's why soldiers go through the intense training that they do so that they can be ready come battle time. And they've already considered the cost. They've already trained for that cost, and they are willing to suffer whatever may be the plight that is waiting for them. It's understood that suffering is involved in the life of a soldier. But this is a good soldier. You see, not all soldiers are worth imitating. Not all soldiers are worth following. This is a good soldier. This is a man of character, integrity, bravery, obedience, and, and finally of a abiding loyalty. That is the example of the, of the kind of soldier that we are to be, that we are to strive to be by God's grace. But notice, he doesn't just say he's a good soldier. He also says that he is a, has a fixed focus. He is a single-minded soldier. That he's not entangling himself with what? The affairs of everyday life. He doesn't say that, that he's not involved in the affairs of everyday life. Do you recognize that? There is a difference between being entangled in the affairs of everyday life and just being involved in them. How can we get out of being involved in the affairs of everyday life? We can't. Unless you move somewhere all by yourself on an island with no other interaction with anyone. No, the Lord doesn't desire that we check out from this world. What he is saying is he desires that we would be singly focused, that we would be, have a fixed focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as the soldier should. Just as all soldiers should. What it means to entangle yourself is this, to become involved in an activity to the point of an interference with other activity or your main objective. That it gets you off and you're no longer considering Christ anymore, you're considering this other thing and for a soldier that's deadly and for the men that are following him, that is deadly. And that is the example. When our everyday lives and everything that we consume our time with becomes so important and so much a part of our lives that serving Christ, 
following Christ, imitating Christ, growing in Christ, sharing Christ, is pushed aside, then that is a believer who is not pleasing God. And notice the motivation behind this soldier. Did you see it? Why is he doing what he is doing? He's doing it so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Again, where's the focus? The focus is on Christ. He recognizes that Jesus Christ is his commanding officer. He is his great commander. And he didn't even sign up for this. Jesus enlisted him. Listen, if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the same for you. You can't say, no, I don't think I want to enlist in this one. I don't want to be one of your soldiers. No, you are one of his soldiers. The question is, are you being a good soldier? This is a call for us as believers to have a fixed focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you say that the single-mindedness is seen in, in other areas of lives, of our lives? Professional athletes. How does a guy like Novak Djokovic win so many tennis tournaments? How does Michael Jordan, how did he play basketball to that level for so long? Okay, Tom Brady, depending on whatever sport you like, you can find someone who is just a little above everyone else. And they get in certain situations, and and what are they able to do? They're able to just put everything outside that is a distraction to them, and they are able to zone in on what they know will allow them to accomplish the task that they've been given. Whether that's a QB, whether that's a tennis player, or you fill in the blank. And aren't we involved in something oh so much more significant than basketball, than tennis? We are. We've been enlisted to be the the Lord's soldier, to be his servant. And so we must be singly minded. We must have a fixed focus. We should practice shutting off all other competing thoughts outside of Christ and focus on Christ alone and consider him. How will this allow me to be more focused on Christ and please him in what I'm about to do? Lord, is what I am doing right now going to get my focus off of you? Then please reveal that to me. Will this help in your mission to advance and build your church? Am I being a faithful soldier, a good soldier, who's keeping myself from being distracted from all these other things of this world? Or have I lost focus on you? So first, get and give the word. Second, we must have a fixed focus. Third, we must compete correctly. Look at verse 5 as he finishes up with his example about the soldier. He next takes Timothy to an example, the metaphor of an athlete. Something that no doubt Timothy understood well, had seen most likely many times in his life, just as he knew what a soldier does, he knew what an athlete does. And so what does he say? If, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, 
He does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Notice what he first says is that you must be competing. I'm sorry none of us can continue to be a spectator. Right? The Lord has called us to be a soldier that is to be what? Good. An athlete that is competing. Not on the sidelines. He wants us to step in and engage. That is what he's letting Timothy know. Timothy, you're going to have to aggressively go after this. You're going to have to show discipline and knowledge. That's, that's what he's getting at with telling him to compete according to the rules. There's two different ways this could have played out back in Timothy's day in the Olympiads. The first is very similar to the way that we have rules. They had rules. You have to compete according to the rules or else what? You get disqualified. You step outside of your lane in a designated area where you're not supposed to step out of your lane. What happens? You're disqualified. You hand off the baton and you're not within that passing lane that is assigned. Then you are disqualified as a team. All four of you are disqualified. You have too many false starts, you are disqualified. Those are rules that everyone knows about that is in this kind of competition. Why? Because they recognize they will lose before they can even try. What is this pointing us to? The Word of God. We must know what the Word of God says and what the Lord requires of us. But then there's this other aspect back in the Olympiad in these days that a participant was required to first complete a 10-month training period. And then they were to swear an oath that they actually did the 10 months. And if it became known that they lied and they actually hadn't trained for those 10 months, then they were penalized, they were punished. What is the Lord getting at in this? He's reminding us, letting us all know that we must be disciplined and staying plugged into the Word of God. That we must compete correctly. That we must follow what, what Matthew says, Matthew 10, 38, and this is what Jesus says. And he who doesn't take up his cross and follow me is what? Not worthy of me. In 16, he says it this way to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must, what, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What does suffering have to do with an athlete? It's understood that in his training, he is going to have to suffer a little bit. Jim Ryan, the man who broke the four-minute mile in high school, do you know what his strategy was towards his training? He'd run and run and run and get to the point of exhaustion and he'd run some more. And then he'd keep running until he was just about to pass out. And then he'd go a little bit more just until like things were beginning to black out. And then he knew, man, that's as far as I can go. Hours and hours of training. What, what, what does your training look like as you're growing in godliness? This is what he's getting at with this idea of being an athlete who competes according to the rules. Are you, are you staying plugged into God's word?
Is your focus fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you getting from the Word of God each day and giving it to others? And then finally, what we see in the life of the farmer is this. Be ready for a strained struggle. That's what he's getting at. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. The first word in the Greek is this hard-working part. It's not emphasizing so much the farmer as it is his work. And if any of you have ever spent time with a farmer or a farmer's family, their life is what? Their life is hard. They get up early. They work late. They, they don't get the opportunity to sleep in when it's time to be doing the harvest or be doing the planting or be doing just about anything. It's a grueling, long, and strenuous work. On top of that, it can be full of disappointments, can it not? Things that they can't stop. Your crop could freeze. Bugs could come and destroy your crop. Or maybe some sort of disease. All of these things happen with farming. On top of all of that, there's this patience that's understood. Why? Because you can't control how fast your crop is going to produce. You have to let it go according to whatever God has determined for that particular plant to produce. And then you just wait. But you don't really know exactly how much it's going to produce. There are so many good things for us to learn from a farmer. And the Lord is letting us know that the strength that he affords by his grace is a strength that will enable us to endure through our suffering just as a farmer has strength to do his job as a farmer. But notice this as well, that in each of these cases, not only do we see this aspect of suffering, but we see this aspect also of receiving a reward. A gift from the Lord. What is it for the soldier? For the soldier, it's victory. For the athlete, you could say it's victory as well, but in that case, it's, it's a prize. It's a trophy. It's a gold medal. And for the farmer, what, what is the prize? It's food. Man, some of the best meals I've ever had is at a farmer's house. It is just an overabundance of food. And what is that letting us know? That's letting us know that the suffering that we are doing right now will be worth it. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. And this is where we lean upon the Lord and we ask for His grace to be evident in our lives. It's what we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be, stead be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is what? Not in vain. And in closing, let me, let me wrap up with verse 7. This verse honestly kind of perplexed me and had me wondering for a, a lot of the week. Look at what Paul says. This doesn't make any sense, at least for me in the first reading. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. Why does he need the Lord to give him understanding in something that Timothy no doubt knew about? About the life of a good soldier. About competing according to the rules. 
about the hard work of a farmer. All these things were, were part of Timothy's life. No doubt, he knew this. So why is it that Paul says, hey, you need to stop and you need to ponder, you need to consider, you need to contemplate these things, you need to roll over in your mind again and again. Man, what are you getting at with the soldier? What are you getting at with the athlete? What are you getting at with the farmer? How come I need the Lord to make it clear to me? Why are you saying this to him? Man, I just want to skip this part. That was my struggle at the beginning of the week. But what if Paul's whole point is this? What might he miss? What might Timothy might what might Timothy not understand from this and from these examples of these three kind of lives? How about a collision course with suffering? How about doing the right thing over and over again and still having to suffer and endure great difficulty? How about the idea of Timothy running into a whole lot of pain, hardship, and adversity, not from doing the wrong thing, not from doing something evil and sinful, but actually from being faithful? And in spite of that, he still runs into the hardship. What then? For competing according to the rules and being a man of integrity no matter what, and what happens, you still lose your job. What about for that person who sticks it out in their marriage? And you're continuing to be faithful and loving and true. And then your spouse says no more and wants out. What about the students who, who work so hard for, for, for that next exam? And you know that everybody else in class is cheating, but you're saying, no, I'm not going to cheat. And the grades come back, and everybody that cheated got, got an A. And you got a C. What, what do you do in these cases? What's so beautiful about the illustrations, the examples, these metaphors that Paul gives, is that each one of them has this sweet reward that's associated with them. Listen, our reward isn't in this life. Our reward is in the one to come. I certainly wouldn't be doing this if my reward was right now only in this life. I'd try to go get whatever I could and as much of it as I could. As far as material wealth, and I'd have the most expensive car, the biggest house, and you name it. That's not life. Life is found in Jesus Christ and the strength that is found in him and him alone. What I want to hear when all is said and done, and I take this time, these years that, that, that I'm pouring into to you all, to my family, my time in Papua New Guinea, all of that. I, when all is said and done and I'm before the Lord, I want to hear, well done, my faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Isn't that what you want? Well, in order for that to happen, we have to understand that it's not our strength, it's his strength. There are some points to ponder. I will let you look at them. I would encourage you to look at Judges chapter 7 and the full account of the life of Gideon because it is such an encouragement to us to recognize that our strength is in the Lord. And it is so easy for us to subtly, 
slide out of that and allow us to try to do everything in our own strength and in our own abilities instead of seeking the Lord and asking him, oh, please, by your power, by your strength, will you help me with this right now, what I'm going through, Lord? Let's pray as Pastor Shane and the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word once again. You are so good to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word and revealing exactly how you want us to function. We recognize that in ourselves, we have nothing to offer you. It's all by grace. And we've seen this morning that to live a life honoring to you, that in order to suffer well, because we recognize that we all are going to suffer, that the only way for us to suffer well is through your strength. So Lord, I I pray this morning that you would use your word in each of our lives to remind us that we must walk in dependence upon you and that you would reveal to us your grace in action as you did in the life of Gideon. And for the life of Gideon, it was so clear and evident. Lord, I pray the same for us that you would place us in situations, positions where all we can see is that this had to be you to allow me to respond the way that I responded. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for your son and thank you for the salvation that we have only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.